Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. I remember growing up in a Christian family with two parents that loved Jesus and loved each other and loved my brother and I. I was lucky to grow up in a great church with an awesome children's ministry, great youth ministry. I remember so many great times at summer camps and winter retreats, just building relationships with friends. I remember so many of my leaders taking the time to to build a relationship with me and just instill great biblical principles in me and help me to just have such a great foundation. I was able to take that great foundation with me when I went off to university. I was super grounded and I remember going and checking out a church in town called the Embassy and I'd heard some rumors. I had some expectations. I was pleasantly surprised. It was uh, it was great. Everyone was super welcoming. I just remember there being such a young energy in the room. I remember the worship being genuine and the message being personal. There was just a sense of something happening. There was a uh, a youthful energy that that was contagious that I loved and I just couldn't get enough of it. I remember getting plugged in with worship team and some leadership teams, but this all came to a head when I had a conversation with Brandon and Emma and eventually Emma said to me that I need to make a decision and decide where I wanted to be planted. And uh, I just remember Emma saying that you know, their desire was for me to have a healthy church home, but to have one healthy church home. I made Embassy my home church and I joined Connect Group and I got plugged into a deeper level with teams and just started building some great relationships. I was so blessed. I have so many great friends at church and I even met my wife at Slate. We got married and uh, we got to stand up there at our wedding day, surrounded by so many of our family, but also so many friends from church. Here we are now, four years later, planted. Here we are now with the same people that witnessed us on our wedding day, still such a special, important part of our lives. Here we are now with teens across our church, bought into the vision. Here I am now still serving on worship team, week in and week out, getting to participate in what God wants to do in this city. What if what we're building now will give the next generation the same strong foundation? What if God is calling more people to build his church here in Ontario? What if Slate Church will be a family for others? What if the best is yet to come? What if God is calling us to be courageous again? I do have a thought, though. Um, Because halfway through, I was like, we are recording this. I wonder if maybe we could share what was just shared in our service, because I think it would speak to, um, I think it would speak to people that, that uh, aren't, aren't a part of this and also be able to show the heart of our leaders. But what I would like is just to take the next five minutes before I continue, just sharing um, 
a few of the things that Heart for the House is, uh, a few of the ways in which Heart for the House has been a blessing to you um, over the past few uh, number of years. I had a really hard time, well, Colin and I had a really hard time with Heart for the House for a while, just like I didn't grow up with the concept of even tithing. So it was a big like hurdle to overcome. And I was also like experiencing a lot of anxiety surrounding finances. It would be like when it was time to budget, um, every month it would like end in tears because I didn't know like yeah how everything was going to work but this past heart for the house um God really worked in my heart and um it was that verse in um was it Micah I think or Malachi where it's like that's the it's the one thing that we can kind of test God in and that he asks us to like you know put him to the test um and so I actually yeah I ended up giving um a month because uh, I was saving for my maternity leave because I'm self-employed so I don't get anything from the government and um, just gave an entire month savings and I didn't know like I had an entire month that I didn't know where my money would come from but yeah God really just like helped grow my business in ways that I was not expecting we were able to hire people and like I'm going back to work in a way better position than I was like before maternity like before leaving for maternity leave and it's just one of those things like yeah where like God's fingerprints have just been like all over our lives this past year. So it's been really cool. Yeah. And like, again, it's not a lot. It's not that like, like Nate was saying, I don't know. I don't really expect like, it's not like you're always going to get that exact return on the investment, but it's also just what God's done in my heart. Like I don't feel anxious about money, honestly, anymore. I can say that. So that freedom is like worth way more. Yeah, I think there's a lot of significance in this year's Heart for the House, and a lot of that has to do with the provision from last year's Heart for the House. The fact that we're filming in a studio in a building that was that exists because of the generosity of our um, our church from last year. Practically, I mean, just the way our daughter has been poured into this past year at Slate Kids. Um, and I just think that Slate Kids is doing such an excellent job at equipping the next generation to serve and be a light to, to others and see people far from God come into relationship with him. So there's a lot, there's a lot of weightiness on this year to see how much more God will do for 2023. For sure. Yeah, I think our process this year is um, we're praying first individually, praying a bunch of first and then um, we have a day set to to go over what God's been putting on our hearts in terms of an amount what we each think a sacrifice looks like and and then once we kind of decide on that we can we do our monthly budget and and kind of go from there so I think a sacrifice looks differently to everyone I mean for for students that could be how much you're I don't know eating out in a month or two months or something along those lines as for might be how much a vacation is something like that so yeah that's how we're doing it this year there's a lot of trepidation going into heart for the house um that like it's 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 normal to feel that weightiness um and really i think it's just important to acknowledge that it's normal that there's always going to be a little bit of anxiety we have a tendency i think it's just human nature to when we see finances and we see giving to God's church, we think, oh, well, like maybe if I hold on to this, um, I'll get ahead. I think that's like what our society would like us to think. But really, 
just that act is you know blocking off god from coming in and doing something miraculous with our finances and um, it's it's in that where our anxiety can start to fester around finances and budgeting so allowing god in to that area of our life which is something that I think we didn't under really, really understand until last year um, has just been miraculous. It's really that freedom from anxiety that is the most powerful gift that we could have gotten. It's not always like a return on our on our investment. It's just that that heart change mm -hmm. that has made a big difference. <laughs> okay. Get ready. The words ring out as the Lord speaks to Joshua. Promises extend from east to west. Other nations are set to fall. The Lord affirms, I will be with you. And then an encouragement, a command, an identity shift. Be strong. As Joshua stands at the edge of potential, at the precipice of God's plan, his focus shifts. Not left, not right. Not my plan, but his. Not my timing, but his. Not my vision, but his. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God is with me. God goes first. It's time to cross the Jordan to occupy the land, to make the move. It's time to be courageous again. All right. How's everybody doing today? Doing good? My name is Brandon. I'm uh, Emma's, Emma's wife, Emma's husband. Um, I'm the other half of the lead pastors here. And um, it's wonderful to see you. It's wonderful to meet you. If we haven't met before, I hope by the end of our morning here today that we have a chance to meet. And uh, it's just, it's really good to have you, whether you call Slate Church home or you're a guest here. Um, you know, we're in, a, we're in a, a season called Heart for the House season, and it's, it's a season where almost every day, and this is just me opening up about what I experience as a pastor going through these four weeks, Almost every day I wake up in the middle of this season, I'm, I'm filled with some level of low-grade anxiety. Now, for some of us who might be like, well, that's just my life. It shouldn't be. Like, as Christians, we shouldn't just be walking around in anxiety. That's not God's hope for us. And we might go, well, that's a mental thing that I, I struggle with. That is actually something I struggle with, but we should be continually submitting that to God. I'm talking about something other than just that natural thing of waking up and having a little bit of anxiety around a work meeting or a little bit of stress around a project that needs to be done around the house or maybe something our children are, are going through. The low-grade anxiety I'm talking about during this Heart for the House season is this tearing of my soul that happens between understanding that Heart for the House season for us as a church is such an important season, but also like uh, walking that, that tightrope between it not becoming something that just seems like we are consumed with as a church. 
The thing is, is that we take once a year to talk about this, and yet for me during these four weeks, all I feel, feel in my spirit is like, man, this is all we talk about as a church. All we, all we ever talk about is money. And, da, da. and you go on this rabbit trail in your brain, which isn't true, but leads you to believe that something is greater than it was. And as I watch this video, even before we, I just get up here and speak, and I'm watching, and be courageous again, this command that is given to Joshua before he leads the Israelites across the Jordan, one of the things that I'm reminded of in my own life is that to be courageous, there needs to be something that you have to overcome. Like courageousness doesn't exist in a vacuum where there are no trials, there are no tribulations, there are no, there's nothing to overcome. Courage is something that is present when there is something that needs to be overcome. Or in the story of Joshua, something that literally needs to be walked through. And in reality, we are all going through a similar season right now where we're kind of torn with how to approach this season and, and the future that God has called us to as a church. And I believe more than ever that our church is called to what God has called our church in particular to. You know, for a little while in our church when we were seeing crazy things when we first started, things that, that, that as a church planner you just don't expect to see. Most church plans just don't, don't exist five years later. And so when you're starting as a church plant, you're so focused on yourself and you're so focused on what's happening in your church and you're so focused on what God's doing in, in the midst of what's going on in your life and in your congregation and in the lives of the people that you serve that you forget that God's actually up to something bigger. And yet one thing that I think our church has begun to catch over the last two years as we emerge from a global pandemic, but we also emerge from just the, the, the testing season that was the pandemic, even on our church, even on us as leaders, is I know that God has called us to not just be building what he's doing here at Slate Church, but to be building what he's up to and coming alongside him and what he's up to here in the province of Ontario. Like I believe more than ever in contributing to the renewal of the church in Ontario. And this is why, you know, I had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago, right after our Vision Sunday, to sit down with some Anglican priests who are going, yeah, we're gearing up to shut down a lot of buildings, and we're going to shutter them because we want to hold on to property, but we're not sure what to do with them. And by the, by the end of that meeting, a few ideas have already come up in the midst of everything that's going on. I'm going, God, this is what we have been called to as a church, to partner with even denominations that, that, that seem different than us, to contribute to what God is trying to do here in Ontario. This is why when our realtor, both my personal realtor, but also the realtor that helped us purchase the property at 100 Fergus, sent me a church building this past week, and he said, hey, this church is for sale in the Waterloo region. I immediately got on Google, searched which churches are in that building currently, got on the phone with them, and I asked what's going on. And they said, listen, this is a mainline church that doesn't want to have us here anymore because our values conflict with them. And they said to us they would rather get the full value for this property than it go onto the hands of another congregation. And I'm hearing this, and I'm going, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not what God had intended when he set out his disciples to go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is not the way it was supposed to be. It is not supposed to be that people would sacrifice. And I think of this, this mainline church that would have been built up from the ground up, property bought, offerings given, people sacrificing out of what they would do that year with their family to build this building only for a denomination to say, listen, we would rather to get full money and pad retirement funds than give this to congregations that are thriving to see the flourishing of the church here in Ontario. That's not the way it's supposed to be. 
And yet what I believe we have been called to as a church is to walk forward in courage in the midst of an environment where everybody is saying the church's best days are behind us and to chart a new path forward where we can be a part of what God is trying to do here in Ontario. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. You understand that. Any complaint that we have about what the church isn't doing or what the church is doing is fully in our hands to, to correct and to build up because God has empowered us to be his hands and feet. I really believe, church, that we are not the only church that God is calling up to, ra to raise up right now, but I do believe that this is a season where we have to call ourselves to the standard that we believe the church should be called to. And that's what Courageous, again, this is what the Heart for the House season is about, is like, let's not like lay down and give up as a church, but let's march forward into the things that God has called us to. The renewal of the church in Ontario, to raise up pastors and missionaries and send them out across the world. Let's raise up a healthy local church, a beacon of hope for people in the Waterloo region. Now, I gotta breathe. I get nervous about Heart for the House because when it comes to talking about finances, there's both a personal thing that's going on and there's a church-wide thing going on. I want to address the personal thing for a moment. Uh, personally, it's, it's interesting because when it comes to Heart for the House, we're in this with all of you. Anything that I share around my personal giving with uh, that Em that and I do, that I share with us as a church, is not meant to impress you. It's not meant to receive my reward here on this side of eternity. In fact, I try to shy away from it because I actually would rather receive rewards in heaven. Anybody do this? You're like, I don't want to share anything that I'm doing because I need to be rewarded in heaven. I learned a long time ago that if I'm able to share most of the things that I've done with people and not receive a reward in heaven, I'm not giving generously enough. I'm not serving enough. I'm not doing enough. I should have more stories than I could share. And that's kind of the point of that message. Not just, hey, do one thing and then don't share it so that you can get your reward in heaven. But I share these things to encourage you just so that you know that Em and I are not asking our church to do anything that we don't do ourselves. And so I, when I mention things like we are in the top 10 givers of our own church and that sort of thing, that's just to basically let people that are here for the first time that just think the church just wants your money to let you know like actually the pastors are sacrificing on the same level as everybody else here in the church because we're not about just getting stuff from you. We actually want something for you in the midst of this series. With all of those things said and the things that I might say from time to time from the platform on the generosity that Emma and I give to the church ourselves, in reality, when it comes to this heart for the season, we are like torn up. <laughs> We're torn up because there's a few thoughts that go th through our minds. One of the thoughts is that, man, God, like, we've given really sacrificially every other year. Like, we, we can opt out of this one, can't we? It's not that we wouldn't give. It's just like, you're not asking us to be sacrificial like a seventh year in a row, are you? It's like every year, every seven years in the Bible, there's like a year of Jubilee. This is our year of Jubilee where we just spend everything on ourselves. And like, certainly you're not asking us after seven years, six years of doing this to do it again for a seventh year, God. Like that can't personally, you know, can't, can't actually be us. A second thought that's been going around in my head as we've just been considering what we would give is... Um, is, uh, God, there's a lot of needs and, like, desires in our lives, right? Like, there's a lot of things that we want to do. Like, when I estimate the things that I want to do versus the things that's in my bank account, I'm like, God, we're already in a deficit. So, like, could we potentially, because, like, maybe a new walk pathway up to our house would really bless the people that we're, we're having over for dinner, like, maybe actually, like, we do that instead of give that much 
to you because that will really bless people the same way we're pastors. Like having people over and then walking up to our house and not tripping over a, a brick that's maybe a millimeter higher than the other one, like that's a really, like that's, that's an advantageous thing. And, and so there's this battle between what we believe God is asking us to do and what we actually want to do in our own lives, right? The other thing that there's a battle in our hearts to do is actually give more than what God has actually called us to give. It's like to impress who? I don't know, to get guilt off of the back of our shoulders, to kind of be like, well, you know, money is evil, so just give it all to God. You know, that can go around in your head. And in reality, all of these things are things that weigh upon our hearts as we decide what we're going to give next week. I want you to know that all of these thoughts are meant for the refining of your own journey with God when it comes to finances. Like, in reality, none of these questions are really, like, if I was to just isolate them on their own, many of them are just completely illogical. <laughs> but what they do is they refine the way in which I view my finances, all that God has given us, the wealth and the possessions that we have. God uses these things to refine us in this season. And actually, on the other side, we find ourselves more refined towards what God wants to do, not just in our church, but also in our lives. It's interesting because this year we have, um, I think we've already come for the first time on our, what we're going to give um, prior to like the night before, because <laughs> uh, we're wrestling right, right up until that. And it's a sacrificial amount. There's something that we believe our family needs to do this year that is really significant. It's really significant for our family and our kids, and it's going to cost us more than we ever believed it would cost us. And we believe Emma brought this to me, and I was, on, uh, I was in L.A. this past week, and I'm on the phone, and I'm just, like, thinking about all the things we could do with what we were getting for our tax return and all the rest. And uh, Emma calls me, and she's like, I think that we were supposed to give the same amount that we are wanting to invest in our family this year. Um, we believe that we're, um, we're supposed to give the exact amount to the church. And I was like, hey, um, I'm going to get on a plane right now, and whatever mental breakdown is happening in our home right now, I'd like to come home and fix that because I'm not hearing that from God. You know, it's interesting that in my life, there are times where God has called us to outrageous generosity to step into all that he's called us to do. And yet there's other times in my life, even the simplest thing of generosity can throw me off. And this is the heart of what we're going to get to today. We're going to touch on the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and this little boy who gives his lunch to feed uh, 5,000 people. And I'm going to get there in a moment. I was going to read it at the beginning, but I'm already in the flow of a thought, and I'll, I'll get to it in just a moment. Um, it's interesting that there are times in our lives where God will call us to outrageous things, and we will willingly step into them. But have you ever noticed in your life that there are times where he calls you to something actually quite small, and it's actually quite difficult? So, like, when Emma called me, quite honestly, I was like, ah, man, that's, that's more, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's happening at home. Like, four kids by yourself is, is probably getting to you a little bit. But by the end of the day, I, I knew in my, in my spirit that that's what we should give. But I want to contrast this with the fact that Tim Hutchison, does everybody know Tim Hutchison? Not everybody does, but he was the guy, I think, on guitar here this morning. Um, Tim Hutchison's a good friend, and he actually um, has office space at Slate Center where he does a lot of, a lot of the video that you see. Uh, Mikhail and him and the team are all kind of uh, crafting, uh, Mario as well, are crafting and, and doing a good job with. 
And uh, Tim does a lot of, not just projects for our church, but he also is a freelancer and he does a whole bunch of stuff for companies all over the place. And, and uh, like, like big projects for Wilfrid Laurier or uh, CBC and this sort of thing. And he's, a, he's very talented at what he does. Well, he was recently going on a trip to uh, um, Northwest Territories. And uh, as he was going up there, he's getting all of his stuff ready. And uh, this was in the past month. And uh, he comes up to me as I came in. I'm almost ready to go. But the one thing I don't have is some winter boots. Like, I know that you got some really good winter boots this past year. Like, could I borrow them for this trip? And uh, it's funny what happens in your heart as a Christian when somebody asks for something that is seemingly insignificant. Can I borrow your boots? Because it's like 10 degrees Celsius for the next 21 days. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, like... If I told you what we gave to Heart for those last year, you would laugh that I'm making a big deal about these $150 boots. But I'm going like, these are my favorite boots. These are boots that I just bought. I've worn them two times. I'm probably going to need them if there's a flash freeze around here. And yet when Tim asked me for this, all of a sudden I'm in like the greatest agony in my life. I'm like, oh, I just, I don't know, Tim, that's a big ask. Like we're friends, but that's just maybe a little more than what I'm willing to do right now. And by the end of the conversation, I didn't share any of that. I'm, he could just see the strain on my face, right? He's like, so the next day I, I come up and I'm like, hey, um, I know you're leaving like tomorrow, let's say. I forget the timeline of this short week, but I'm like, hey, if you need those boots, just let me know. And he's like, man, don't worry about it. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I could see how difficult that was for you. I'm just going to go find some boots. And I'm thinking in my heart, I'm like, I am a terrible Christian. Like, God says, like, if you have one, two coats, give one coat to the person that's in need. I've got, like, four pairs of boots, but he wanted my one pair that are so, and I, I just have a hard time giving it. And so I'm like, honestly, Tim, I need this for me. I need you to take these, destroy them. Like, do, I need, I need you to do something with this. And, and, and I tell you this story because at the end of the day, this is what we are wrestling with when it comes to possessions and wealth and finances in our lives. And this is why God spends so much stinking time in his word addressing our incessant need for possessions and things and wealth and money and riches and an and abundance of finances. He spends so much stinking time on it because he sees that we are absolutely overcome by things that have us. And as a pastor, I get nervous to talk about it. Because I get nervous. I'm like, maybe I should be more practical. Maybe, maybe the, the, the lessons that I give to our church should be more practical during this season. Which I think in, in some ways, it's like people want to know, is tithing still a part of the New Testament? Or is that just an Old Testament thing? And, and I want to spend a whole message on it because, because like I, I want to justify why, why it was 10% before tithe was given, but it actually was 27. And then you see the church giving all that they have. And, and you want to give all that in a message. And I go, no, 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 that's not what our church needs right now. And I go, but, but maybe what we need to do is we need to like actually show people a budget so we can get our church financially healthy so that giving isn't such a burden and all the rest. And, and honestly, I think that's why in our team, we actually put a, a video on our YouTube channel this past uh, week by our, our ex executive pastor, Pastor Ben Yancey, just going through what budgeting is and why it's beneficial and why as a Christian we should actually do that. We want to serve our church, but that's not what I want to speak about today either. Sometimes when I get to messages like this, I'm like, I need to make them more emotional so that we just like, by the end of it, we're just like crying and like, you know, those, those commercials on like, like save the animal shelters and all the rest and at the end and it's like arms of an angel. And he's just like, like, you can't help but give. You're like, just take all my money. Like we got to save the dogs or the whoever it is. Sometimes I feel like I just got to be like more emotional and I'm just like, maybe we'll just tell them some sob story. Like, 
I remember when I didn't have, you know, and it, like, no, no, no. And then the other thing I wrestle with as a pastor when it comes to the series is, um, man, I just feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again. And maybe we just need to talk about something different. And yet, it begs a question from us. Why does God personally spend so much time within his Bible that was bound and given to us, the word of God, the active and living word of God, why was so much time spent on giving, on finances, on wealth, on possessions, on things that we have? I want to remind those of you that haven't heard me say this, literally any time we've talked about finances. But the Bible talks about wealth and money in the Bible more than double it does faith and prayer combined. And my reading, like if I was just to ask somebody, what do you think church is all about? They would say like, yeah, having faith, praying a lot, like, I don't know. And yet the Bible talks about those, about money more than double those things combined. Why? And as I've said before, because God understands that it's not that he's obsessed with money, it's that he knows we're obsessed with it and he wants to help us out in this thing that we all struggle with. There's just this metaphor that I read this past week, and this metaphor had to do with the idea of teaching someone to canoe. Now, my friend Peter and I are about to go away. I don't know if it's a canoe trip or a, we're trying to still figure it out. It's a canoe trip or backpacking trip, but we do two of these a year, where we just go out into the back country, and we like, Peter's taught me everything that I know, and so, um, you know, I really thank him for that. But uh, I was reading this metaphor all about canoeing, and this idea that, um, like, it's useful to learn how to canoe properly. It's, it's useful to learn how to maneuver. I remember when Peter was re-educating me on uh, a J-stroke. Does anybody know what a J-stroke is when you come in? And, I mean, it's like a real, like, if you want to impress your family and friends in a canoe, J-stroke is where it's at. And so he's teaching me all this stuff, and it's a lot of practical things. And um, as I was reading this metaphor this past week, the, the idea behind it was that these maneuvers and these tactics are important only, only in, in, in context of, of like a perfect canoeing scenario. The other way to say it would be this, is that if you're, on, if you're headed towards a rushing waterfall, if you're on, if you're on the river, um, uh, the, 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 the Niagara River, if you're where Niagara Falls is and you're just, somebody's in the boat just trying to teach you like maneuvers and like how to do things properly, the best thing for you to do is actually have that person to tell you like, get off this river. Like you, you can't J-stroke hard enough to get away from the danger that is in front of you. And so the best thing for somebody to do in that scenario is not to teach you new tactics, but actually to tell you to find a new river to practice on. And when it comes to our finances, this is, this is the entirety of, of scriptures. Like the thrust of what God has to say with money in the Bible is you are on a river headed towards a rushing waterfall that you're about to crash off of. And it doesn't matter what techniques or maneuvers or things you learn about how to handle this properly, that if you don't get outside of your Western thought on money, you are going to fail in this area. And so what God is constantly trying to bring the modern reader, our, our, our context into is a life and a perspective on finances that everything we have is God's, that everything we have has been given to us by God, and that everything that's been given to us is meant to be a blessing to us and to others. 
And each of these components is really important. You can't miss any of them, otherwise you're on the wrong river. Everything we have is God's, but that flies in the face of what we believe today in our, in our current society, that everything I have has actually been worked for by me. No, 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 no. Everything we have is God's. The second thing is, is, is everything that, that I have has been given to me by God. We haven't just worked for this thing. We haven't just like hustled enough to get what we have. We haven't just like gotten ourselves into the right program and then had the right network and the right connections and the right conversation that gave us the promotion and therefore everything I have is mine. No, no, no. The second belief when it comes to biblical finances is that not only is everything God's, but everything we've been given has been given to us by God. But it moves on from there to, to say that everything we have is actually meant to be a blessing to us. The ascetics would, would say that actually money and possessions and material things are evil. And what the Bible says over and over again is, no, 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 actually it's meant to bless you. If you're walking around like everything that you have is bad, then you, are, you live in what is essentially called a poverty mentality, that things are bad, that having things are bad, and it's not a biblical perspective. But on the other side of that, if you can accept that everything that God's given us is meant to be a blessing to us, but not graduate into the fact that you've been blessed to be a blessing, you're a materialist. Or maybe even, even worse, you have a prosperity theology that says that I need more and having more is actually beneficial or giving is meant to get stuff back. And again, it, it, it devolves into a, a, a thought and a perspective on finances that was never meant to be held by God's people. There's a quote that I read this past week, and it says, the greater a thing's potential for good when used rightly, the greater its potential for evil when used wrongly. So it is with money. It has vast potential to be used for either good or evil. And I really, truly, to the core of my being, believe that for us as Christians, it is meant to be used for godly things and to the things that God is up to here in the world today. It probably would have been much better for me to read this passage at the beginning because I, I meant to reference it a few times throughout what I just said. But I want to draw our attentions really quickly here to John chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 15. Jesus has just finished up some teaching. In fact, it's a bit to address this in this passage in just a moment. And we see a miraculous thing happen uh, before God. And it says this, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival is near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those um, who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they, had all, when they had all had enough to eat, 
he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled them, filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is, uh, who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. You know, what's interesting to me about this passage is that what you have represented is approximately 5,000 people uh, in this place. And again, theologians break this down. Many of us have heard before that there's actually not just 5,000 people, but there's also men and women. The way that numbers were counted in that time, right or wrong, um, was, was that they didn't actually include women and children in the, in the number. And so there would have been closer to about 15,000 people present that day when Jesus said, hey, um, go buy some, some food for these people to eat, testing his disciples. And the disciples in this moment are going like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, there is not enough, like, we, we don't have enough, like, there's not enough money here. Like, we've been following you. I don't know if you realize, but that doesn't pay a whole lot over the last couple of years. And like, like where are we supposed to get what, what we're supposed to have to feed all of these people? You know, it's really interesting because all growing up, um, Sunday school teachers would use this passage to remind us as little kids that we can be used in all that God wants to do in the world around us. I don't know about you, but when the Sunday school teacher in my class would pull out the felt board and all of a sudden there was this little boy on it and he was helping give his lunch to everybody and they are feeding all these people. I saw myself in that story and I'm like, I, I want to be a part of what God's up to. And I see this in my kids. It's an interesting thing that kids have an easier way with finances, it seems, than adults. And the answer to that question, or maybe the more cynical view would be, would, would be because they don't really understand finances, right? To give you an example of this, yesterday morning, we were with our local, or at least part of our local, and we were serving um, uh, the pregnancy center, the crisis, pre pregnancy crisis center here in the Waterloo region. And the way that we were doing this is we went over to Jen and Will Taves' house with a few other families from our local, and we were making uh, food there for the pregnancy crisis center so that there was prepackaged meals that people can come in, grab them if they're in need of food, and, and take them with them. And so we, we created these. I think we froze them. Is that what happened? And then we give them, and they, yeah, okay. Um, my, my local uh, is astounded by the lack of cooking skills that I have, because as I'm slicing through, like, carrots, I'm like, wow, this is really easy. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I've never done this before. And they're like, how did you, how are you 32 years old and never cut a carrot before? And I'm like, honestly, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. But, like, this is very, like, very, uh, interesting to them. I see a lot of wives looking at their husbands right now, and uh, I would just say that just restrict yourself a little bit. Um, but um, <laughs> I don't know if it's because you're like, yeah, uh, neither do you, or like, uh, or or you're like, yeah, you'd never be like that, you know. But in this, you know, we're there and we're just cut it, cooking up all the all the stuff and and, and I guess cutting it. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like I don't know what we were really doing. They're just telling me like cut up these carrots. I'm like, what are we going to do with the carrots? Like we are going to put them in the tins. And I'm like, wow. And while we're there, Kenzie, our oldest, she's six years old. She's about to turn seven. All of a sudden, just kind of runs by, and she just like grabs a whole bunch of change and just puts it on the counter. And it's like clanging all over the place, and she runs off. We're like, Kenzie, Kenzie, what is that? And she's like, it's for the people that don't have any money. And I'm like, what do you mean? And all of a sudden, my mind went back to, like, Kenzie sometimes, almost always, 
is the last one out of the house. And it drives Emma and I nuts until I realize that she's my child and that's probably how the world feels about me. And because um, I'm, if Emma's not last, or if Kenzie's not last, I am. But this morning or yesterday morning when I watched her and I observed her leaving the house, one of the reasons that she was late to getting to the car was she wanted to bring this purse. And sometimes when your kids want to bring things and you don't understand, you're like, just leave it here. Like, why do you want to bring it? There's nothing in it. Like, you don't have anything. And yet she was so intentional to bring this person. She comes and she just empties everything onto the table. She saw a need and she placed it on the table. And this small act reminded me that as a child, whether it's because we don't understand finances or there's not these checks and balances, we are willing to just give everything because, why? Because we know where our, our source of provision is. Kenzie, at the end of the day, has all of her needs met and she knows that if she wants something at the end, of the, needs something at the end of the day, that mom and dad are probably going to provide it. And in this moment, it just contrasted the way that we as adults grow up and we start to view the world. Because we have all these needs and these things that we have to provide for. And all of these things are good things. If you don't pay your mortgage or your rent this month, you're going to be evicted or your house is going to be taken from you. You have to pay for these things. And yet, I think one of the breakdowns that happens in our financial understanding of the way that God wants to interact with us as his children is we forget that very thing, that we are God's children. We go from children into adults, and we forget to place ourselves back as children at the hands and the feet of Jesus and say, listen, we are, we are subject to you. We believe that everything we have comes from you. We believe that if we give it all away, you're able to return it again. Why? Because we understand that you gave us everything in the first place. And in this story of the 5,000 being fed and uh, the 15,000, the people that were there, the thing that is fascinating to me is that there is no way that a bunch of grown men, 5,000 of them, left the house without food that day. They just weren't willing to give it up to the people because they might not have enough themselves. We have nothing to believe in any of the stories that are recorded that there wasn't food available. It was that food wasn't being shared. But who shares their food? A little boy. It wasn't the adults, but it was one that understood, listen, mom and dad gave this to me. They'll give me more. I'll just give it away. It's at the hands of an innocent little boy that all of a sudden this entire crowd is fed. And I don't know about you, but as a Christian, my desire is that my heart would be so conformed to Christ, that my heart would be so close to the heart of the Father, that I would understand that when he is asking me to do something, that he is able to provide and return in a 20-fold what I am scared to lose in my own strength. That God himself is able. And as the band comes up, I just want to make one more point here. And it has to do with the same story. And I think a few years ago, I think I made the same point, and it was just so, so tangible in my mind. And so, and it spoke to me, the, the deep recesses of my soul. And it's simply this, that God can only multiply what is given. For all the other people that brought their lunches that day, and again, you might be like, well, you're reading things in the scripture that aren't there. It's not there that there was no food. With 15,000 people present, we, we, we have the, the, the ability to logic and understand that there was food available, that people were eating that day, but just that there was a lot of people that were hungry. And I think that you know, what's interesting is that there was a lot of people there that day that got to eat, but there was only one person there that day that got to be a part of the miracle. 
There's a lot of people that got fed that day, whether they brought their own lunch or they received lunch from Jesus as he broke bread and broke the fish and gave it out. There was a lot of people that ate that day, but there was only one that got to be a part of the miracle. And the wonderful thing about the miracle that took place was that it was the releasing of something that made the multiplication of something possible. And I think in my life, because I've grown up in the West and I have friends that invest in the stock market, I've got friends that are into cryptocurrency, I've got friends that are into investing in real estate, I've got friends that have, have the idea of multiplying money to create wealth for themselves, and I don't think any of that is bad. But I think the way that my mind usually goes throughout the year is how do I multiply what I have for the benefit of myself? And yet what we see is not a promise that things within our hands will be multiplied, but we do see regularly within scripture that that what is released to God is actually multiplied. The best multiplication strategy for what you've been given is to give it away. Why? Because when we release what God has given to us, it has the ability to benefit and bless more people than just yourself. What I love about this story is that this little boy, certain that he's going to get food from somewhere, he's probably thinking like, I I eat every day. Mom sent me with my my lunch today. Like, I have no reason to believe that it won't be used. I get to be close to to this prophet. I get to be close to this person that people are saying might be the Messiah. Yeah, I'll give my lunch to this guy. I'll get food tomorrow. What I think is absolutely amazing is that in the releasing of what he has, Jesus multiplies it. And church, that is a picture of what God does through the local church. That as we give to what God is doing through Slate Church, it's not that Slate Church gets bigger. It's not that Slate Church gets more and our bank account goes up. It's none of those things. What begins to happen is what Slate Church is able to do begins to get multiplied in the region that we find ourselves in. All of a sudden, we go from just helping ourselves to raising up pastors to send them in to raise up more congregations with more healthy families, with more stability in the home, with more things happening across the province of Ontario. We get to be a part of that. Why? Because we invested a little and God turned it into much. It's amazing what happens when we get outside of the frame of what we can get out of this thing and we get into the frame of what God could do through our reckless obedience. All right, why don't we stand up in this place? I'm running out of time like 10 minutes ago. church to swim in, the river I want our church to canoe in, is a river where we deeply believe that everything we have is God's. I want the water that we're swimming in and the water that we're canoeing and paddling in, I want it to be a, a, a water, a, 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 a basin that, that we really do believe that everything we have, God has given us. I want it to be an environment where we really believe that we're supposed to enjoy what God's given us. And if you're here today, and sometimes that's the greatest problem for somebody that has been blessed with a lot on this side of eternity, is we feel guilty that we have things. Go enjoy it. God is able to provide. Enjoy it. But the other thing is, is that we need to be people that when we're blessed, that recognize that we weren't blessed to be an a dead end for that blessing, but we were we were actually asked to be a, a multiplier of that blessing, to give so that others also might be blessed. That's the water that I want our church to swim in. 
all the techniques and the maneuvers and all the rest, you know, that's something that we've been talking about as a staff. And over the coming months, what we're actually going to be doing is we're going to be running another financial freedom course. I don't know what it's actually called, um, but this idea of like teaching people how to actually get your finances in order. We're going to continue to post videos on how to manage your finances well so that your family is set up well for the future. We're going to do all of that. But before we get to the maneuvers and the techniques and everything else, the cry of this pastor's heart is that we'd all be swimming in the same water. Water that we actually deeply believe God has provided. So can we just, maybe just close ourselves off in prayer as the worship team comes up to sing. And I just wanna, I wanna ask it, just a question for those of us that have already chosen to follow Jesus. Maybe today, like, in your wrestling in this season, because God brings a lot of negative things to the surface. He brings your selfishness and not willing to give away boots to the surface. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, I'm not generous, I'm still stingy. Maybe today you're just having a hard time believing that God is our provider. And with every head bowed, I mean, I'm actually not even going to look up. I want you to think, like, this isn't, none of this is to coerce anybody to do anything. It's all for you. We, the heart of this series is not really that the church would be able to go do all the things that God has called us to do. The heart of this series is that our church would leave this season free from anxiety around finances. And if you're here today and you've just been having a hard time believing that God is in control, He's your provider, and you just needing that reminder in your soul right now, can you just raise a hand as I begin to pray? Jesus, I pray for those of us that are struggling right now, just accepting that you are able to provide even when we don't see a way or a possibility or some way that you actually could do so. Father, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts right now and remind us that the very reason we are in this room is because you have put breath in our lungs. Father, may you remind us on the drive home, whether we take a bus or we take a car that somebody else owns, or we take a car that we own, that you have provided the means for that transportation. Father, may you remind us every single day, not of the things that we don't have, but the things that you have given us so we can live our lives in an abundance, with an abundance mindset, a gratitude mindset for all that you have done. Father, free us from the anxiety that so often plagues those in our society that there's not going to be enough for tomorrow and what's going to happen next week. And God, may we rest as your children in the assurance that you will provide. Jesus, as we begin to worship you here, we, God, we just we just lay our anxieties upon you, and we trust in what you will do. In Jesus' name.
if you're here today and maybe one of your questions, you're watching, let's say, Jackie and Colin's video, and you're like, man, why would anybody give a month's worth of their earnings to the church? Like, this is wild. You know, I'm never more understanding of what Jesus did on the cross than during this season of my life. Why? Because the cross was the ultimate act of generosity from God towards his creation. The cross represented Jesus leaving his heavenly throne to sacrifice his own life for us that we may be bought at a price we could not pay. It is the greatest act of generosity the world has ever known. And as we get into a series like this and we ask, well, why is this person giving that? It's because, even for our family, it's because we just want other people to know this goodness that we've come to know. That's what this entire thing is about, is that we actually might go out and show people and reveal a Savior's love that is so extravagant that he would die for us. And so before we leave this place, we just always like to take a moment. The reason we do this is not because it's not because this is an easy thing to do. In fact, making a decision to follow Jesus is an easy thing on your part, but but after you make that decision, it's not like the Christian life's not actually that easy. It's, it's a high call. But what we know about Jesus' death on the cross is that he paid a price for our sins that we couldn't pay for ourselves. And that by deciding to follow Jesus and accepting what Jesus did for us on the cross, what it means, as Romans says, that we get to spend eternity with God. That means eternity being forever, but also the moment we're in right now. We get to spend all of that with God. So while your life might not get easier, you make a decision to follow Jesus, you get to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're here today, I'm just going to ask everybody to close your eyes just for privacy. And mainly we do this because if somebody has been brought by somebody else, we don't want them to feel compelled like, oh, this is a moment where they need me to do something. This is between you and God and nobody else. So with every eye closed, I'm not going to point anybody out. But if you're here today and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, I just want to know who you and you're going, hey, no, today I need to, I need to rest in the, in the generosity of the creator of this universe. I need to trust in what Jesus did. I need to follow him. If that's you, could you just raise a hand? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah. Jesus, I just want to thank you for those that have made this decision follow you in this moment. God, we understand that this is not done because of our own anything that we can boast in. But God, we receive salvation because of what you did for us. So God, for those that are making this decision right now, God, we celebrate with them. And we pray that as they go on from this place today and wake up tomorrow, that your spirit would be guiding them. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can we celebrate here at the 9 a.m.? I just hold up a sec, hold up a sec. I know we're getting to the end here. You can come up and give an announcement. Hey, 9 a.m., sometimes I, uh, I'm hardest on you because some of you have been a, a part of our church the longest. Um, and so sometimes I'm like, you guys don't bring a whole lot of people to church, do you? And you feel that, and you're like, oh, man, I don't know the last time I invited somebody to church. So when I say let's celebrate that somebody has given their life to Jesus, that's not just like, oh, that's cute. That's like there's a party in heaven right now, and we want to join in with that. Can we celebrate those that have made the decision to follow Jesus today?
meet you, uh, say hello, and give you some next steps that you could take. Don't forget, church, next week is Heart for the House Sunday. Be praying into this. You can grab a card on the way out if you don't have one. And we will see you on Tuesday for our prayer worship night at the Slate Center. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.